Well, good morning. My name is Esther. It's really good to be here with you guys on this temporarily dry morning. <laughs> um, so, you know how sometimes when you're dating someone, you agree to things you might not normally do because you're trying to impress that person? Well, back when my husband Dave and I were dating, he asks, hey, you want to run a 5K with me? And I said, sure, as if I was the kind of person who ran, which I wasn't. So we start the race, and I'm booking it. I'm like, this guy, he's holding me back. A little later on, I suddenly start to feel like Dave, who actually hasn't changed his pace, has gone from running slow to going really fast. A little later after that, I just have to stop and walk. And because we were doing the race together, Dave stops and walks with me most of the rest of the way. I had good intentions, but poor pacing. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we pace ourselves well in the spiritual life? Because I think pacing is something we struggle with as a society, right? Like we live a fast and busy life, adults and kids alike. We talk about goals and outcomes, but not as much about how to do it in a way that is sustainable and healthy, leading to epidemics of burnout. And pacing is not just a nice life skill to learn, it's critical to the spiritual life. The Bible often describes our spiritual journey like a walk, like moving through time in a way that is in step with God. And today, we're going to look at a passage that, in simplest terms, is God taking his people on a walk, a walk that shows them how to pace themselves in the spiritual life. We're in a sermon series entitled All Things New, in which we're dropping in on the story of the Israelites just after they've left the wilderness, but before they fight their first battle in the promised land. In that space, a few things happen that prepare them for what's ahead, and today we'll be looking at the first of those things, the crossing of the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3. As we read the story, we'll talk about three things it shows us about how to pace ourselves well. Okay, let's read together. Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The first thing we learn is that pacing is about learning to follow. So we saw last week that the Israelites have traveled from Egypt to Canaan and landed at the Green Star east of the Promised Land of Canaan. Zooming in on that area, we see that they've been camped at a place called Shittim for the last three books of the Bible, but now they're heading west and have to cross the Jordan River, that vertical line going up from the Dead Sea. The thing is, they're arriving at a point along the river and at a time of year at which crossing was near impossible. 
First off, they were too far south. The traditional crossing point was 18 miles north at a place called Adam, because below that point, there were steep drops and elevation that made the current too strong to ford. Moreover, they were arriving in spring when water levels were at their highest. We can maybe sympathize with that this week with all the rain and flooding we've been getting. The riverbed was normally 100 feet across, but in the spring, the water would rise to fill floodplains a mile wide, and these plains were packed with dense growth that was harder to cross than the river itself. One commentator puts it this way. The river the Israelites faced at springtime was no placid stream, but a raging torrent, probably a mile wide, and covered a mass of tangled brush and jungle growth. So the people arrive at the Jordan under these conditions and wait for three days, probably getting more and more confused and antsy about what was going to happen. And when they finally get some instructions, it's not about strategies or packing tips. It's not a pep talk. It's a command. Follow the ark. What is this ark of the covenant? Well, it was the most concise physical representation of the presence of God at that time. The ark was a golden chest that was normally located in the innermost, most holy place in the tabernacle. It was where the presence of God would come to rest. They actually called the lid of the chest a seat, as if God was coming to sit down right there between the two angels. It was called the Ark of the Covenant because it contained the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the covenant of law that God had made with his people. The Ark was so holy that no one was allowed to touch it, so the priests carried it with poles, and the people were told to keep some distance away, in this case, 2,000 cubits, which we'll come back to later. The officials tell them, follow this Ark. And Joshua says the same thing, consecrate yourselves, which is an Old Testament way of saying, prepare yourself to see and follow God. When we think about how to pace our lives, we want strategies and details. We want tips for work-life balance, life hacks to increase our efficiency, the perfect planner to keep track of it all. And there is a place for those things, I'm a huge fan of my planner system, actually. But that's not what this story tells us. It tells us that the most fundamental thing that determines our piecing in life is what we are following. What we follow defines the direction and speed we take over time. It defines what we consider important and therefore how we distribute our limited resources. And in the Christian life, learning to pace ourselves means learning to follow God, to move in step with him over time. How do we do that? It's like the difference between following the ca a car in a caravan, if you're driving, versus driving on your own. When you're on your own, you're asking, is the next turn right or left? And you expect your GPS app to help tell you that. But when you're caravanning, the question you're asking is, where is the car in front of me? Am I staying close enough so that not too many other cars cut in between us? Does it look like the car I'm following might change direction? And of course, how well you can interpret its movements may depend on how well you know its driver and their driving style. 
What most of us do by default is live like we're driving on our own, right? We're optimizing our resources and focusing on our circumstances to get where we want to go. And maybe God is the GPS app that helps us get there. We want him to be our assistant to tell us whether to turn right or left in a crisis. And it's not that God doesn't guide us, but that's not the primary picture we get for how he does so. The picture we get is more like how the Israelites follow the ark, like a caravan. When we follow God, we keep our eyes on him. We're aware of ourselves in relation to him. We discern his movements. We learn about his character and his desire and design for every area of our lives. And as we follow, we don't just get good life tips along the way. We become transformed in ways that change how we then see all the right and left decisions that we make. So often we're concerned with what we're doing when God is more concerned with who we are becoming. And we become like whoever or whatever we're following. We naturally match our pace to whoever we're walking with. Who are you following this year? Are you following yourself? Are you taking your cues from what everyone else around you is following? Or in this caravan of life, do you have your eyes on God? Do you have a relationship with him that informs not only what you do, but what you want, how you see things, where you are going, how you make the million decisions that affect your walk in life? Pacing well is following well. Let's read on, picking up in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 3. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. And okay, I'm going to stop there before I lose you all. For our second point, pacing is about learning to wait. Was anyone else tempted to get out a red pen here and edit out all the redundancy? Like the whole thing could have been summed up in one sentence. They all agree that they're going to follow the ark to the river where the ark will stop the water from flowing. Instead, 
Joshua talks to the priests. God talks to Joshua about what to say to the priests. Joshua talks to the people about what he heard from God. And then the narrator tells us, the readers, all over again, what everyone has been saying to each other. But this tempo of narration, right, this gradual unfolding of details through all the cycles of conversation, this slow buildup, is itself the narrator's way of telling us something about the pacing of the spiritual life. Very often, we don't see more than one or two steps ahead at a time, just like the Israelites don't find out everything at once. Very often, there are various iterations and cycles of movement, just like the dialogue here, rather than one concise linear action. And so pacing in the spiritual life will always involve some level of waiting, waiting to find things out, waiting through seasons of life. A lot of our problems with pacing happen because, happens because we don't like that. We don't like to wait. We see it as a waste of time, something to get through or distract ourselves from until whatever we're waiting for happens. It's a passive, detached experience. But what can we learn here about how to wait well? I used to blame my struggles with waiting on Amazon Prime. As Ronnie Chung says, no item too trivial, no quantity too small, to be hand-delivered to your door in two days. In fact, what we need is prime now. Like, I think about what I want, and it appears instantly on my doorstep. None of this searching it up, scrolling through all the reviews, waiting two whole days. But actually, seeing what it's like for our kids to wait even those two days is interesting. One time, I ordered one of our boys some Pokemon cards he really wanted. Every few hours, he would run to the front door to see if they had arrived, even though I told him it might not be time yet. When he wasn't checking the door, he was talking about all the cards in the booster pack. And since I don't speak Pokemon, when this happens, I just go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that VMAX Evolution HP thing sounds great. <laughs> he was the opposite of passive and detached. Why? because he had a promise from a parent and a company he trusted that allowed him to wait. He knew something had already begun and was at work in the mail system, even though he couldn't see it, and the waiting was part of the process. In fact, the waiting was my favorite part of the process. It showed me a lot about who he was and what the cards meant to him. Waiting in the spiritual life is like that. We have a promise that allows us to wait. We have a God who has already begun his work and is always now at work, even though we don't see it. And to the degree that we trust him, we can trust that the waiting is part of the process. We can wait in expectation like the Israelites. Their waiting is not passive, but active, right? It's filled with movement. They prepare, they walk, they follow. Their waiting is not detached, but present to the moment. The officials say, as soon as you see the ark, 
like they're on the lookout for it, for how God is moving in the waiting. They listen to Joshua and learn about God in the wait. And their waiting is open-ended. They're willing to follow the ark wherever it may lead, even though, as we're told, they have not passed this way before. Henry Nowen was a theologian who, after spending nearly two decades teaching at Yale and Harvard, decided to leave so that he could live and work in a community of people with disabilities. I'm sure the pace of life there was very different. He came back once to give a talk called A Spirituality of Waiting, in which he pointed out that a lot of our waiting is not open-ended. Our waiting is actually a way of controlling the future. But spiritual waiting is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life, trusting that God will lead us according to his love and not according to our fears. It's this kind of waiting that allows truly new things to happen to us, things that are beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. Think of the times in your life when you've most experienced God's power or God's grace or some revelation from God in your life. Could you have predicted it? Could you have controlled it into happening? I couldn't have. Yet we're always trying to control the future instead of being willing to wait on God. I'll tell you what I would have done instead of waiting. I would have gotten into my car and set my GPS for the traditional crossing point 18 miles north. But then I would have missed the miracle. Pacing ourselves well in the spiritual life means learning to wait in a way that is active, present to the moment, and open-ended. Let's finish our passage by picking up in an edited version of the last verse we just read, verse 15. As soon as the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The last thing we learn is that pacing is about making space to see. So last week, we mentioned how God would give Joshua some of the same experiences as Moses, and that happens unmistakably here. God parts the waters so the people at the Red Sea can cross from death to life. He now holds back the waters at the Jordan so they can cross into the promises of that life. Both are acts of grace. And what we get here in particular is such a beautiful picture of how that grace works because it's the Ark of the Covenant holding the waters back. See, the Ark points to Jesus because back in the tabernacle, before God could come sit on on the lid of the chest, the priest would sprinkle the blood of a lamb all over that lid. 
The idea was that the people had broken the covenant of law inside the chest. But when the lamb's blood covered over that broken law, God could be restored with his people. That's why they call the lid the mercy seat. It all points to how Jesus' blood covers our sins so that we can be saved. The only thing we have to do is believe, just like the Israelites had to walk across that riverbed in faith, in belief, that as long as the ark was there, they would not die. That's God's grace. And at the moment this miracle is happening, we understand perhaps the reason for the space the Israelites had to make around the ark. If you'll remember, they were told to keep 2,000 cubits away. That's the length of 10 football fields, or just over half a mile. Well, it turns out that 2,000 cubits is the distance from the outer bank of the Jordan River to the inner bed. So when the priest holding the ark touched the water's edge, the people would still be up on the high outer bank, giving them a clear view of what was happening. They could see because of the space they had made. And it was the space that they had made in advance, right, from the very beginning of the walk. Before the ark ever got to the waters, the Israelites had already structured their entire assembly so that they would be able to see the grace of God in their lives. We pace our lives so much in terms of what we do, but it's just as important to pace our lives in terms of what we don't do, in terms of what we leave space for, because that's what grace means, right? It's something we don't have to do or achieve. It's something we make space to see and to receive. And we can structure all kinds of spaces in our lives. Maybe, like the Israelites, we structure some physical distance by planning time this year to take a retreat, to get some critical distance and perspective on life. If there's a period of uncertainty, we can hold that space by checking our impulse to rush in with anxieties and plans and instead pray and listen to God first. We can decide to take a regular Sabbath of some kind as an expression of our belief that we don't run the world through our work, but can rest in and enjoy what God has given us. Maybe we create some space in our attention by putting our phones down or choosing not to multitask during certain periods of time. We can make spaces in our physical environments, in our time, in our minds or emotions what would it look like for you to structure in space this year to see and receive God's grace in your life? Last week, we talked about one spiritual practice we can do together, reading through the New Testament over six months. We'll be hearing in a moment about a second practice we can do to make space for God in our lives this year. So today, we saw God take his people on a pretty memorable walk and we learned that piecing ourselves in the spiritual life means learning to follow God, learning to wait on him, and making space to see his work in our lives. There's no way the Israelites could have known it at the time, but I can't help but think that God took them on this walk in just the kind of pace that he did to prepare them for what they would face in the promised land. Can you think of another time when they followed the ark on a walk and a miracle occurred? 
It's foreshadowed at the end of our passage today. Jericho. The walk at the Battle of Jericho was even harder, right? They had to follow the ark with their enemies jeering down at them the whole time. They had to wait not one or two days, but seven days getting up every morning to walk without knowing why. But maybe it was just a bit easier to do because they had already walked across the Jordan. Many, many years later, there was someone else who, at the beginning of something new, walked into the Jordan River. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And actually, most people think it happened right around the place where Joshua and the Israelites crossed. In our story today, the Ark of the Covenant went into the water so the people could cross into the new land. Years later, the person to whom that ark pointed, Jesus Christ himself, went down into that same water at that same place and rose again from it to show us the new life we can have in him. May God give us the grace and the faith to walk in step with him in that new life this year. Amen. Amen.